Welcome to the Brentwood Academy podcast. We are a co-educational, independent college preparatory school near Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to nurture and challenge each whole person, body, mind, and spirit to the glory of God. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the stories, lives, and relationships that make BA such a special place. For more information about BA, visit BrentwoodAcademy.com. Now on to today's episode. I'm Matt Brown, uh, teach Christian Dynamics here at Brentwood Academy. We've got a great show today. Uh, three, uh, three individuals, three teachers here that, uh, that I've loved getting to know and work with. Uh, bright minds in the field of science, uh, as well as uh, very well educated in the realm of theology. And we're going to talk about how do we integrate faith and science today a topic that, that has a lot of our students asking really great questions, but I know a lot of parents as well. This is going to be a two-part series. In the first half, we're going to talk about actually what it looks like to integrate faith and science. Are they opposed to each other? Uh, are they mutually exclusive, or, or can we integrate them and how? And then in the second part, we're going to get more practical, talking about uh, how do parents talk to their students about this topic. Well, once again, thanks for listening. And let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Brentwood Academy podcast. Today, we're going to do an episode on faith and science, specifically the integration of the two. Uh, We have three members of our science faculty here, Tom Cox, uh, Jeff Bryant, and Wendy Stallings. And uh, we've got some questions for them. We've we've kind of pulled together uh, some some experts in this this field, in this area. So... um, Got a few questions for you guys, but I would like to just start off with uh, specifically what are your backgrounds? If you can just share some things, uh, just just share a little about yourself, uh, what your science background is, and um, specifically what what did you do before you started teaching? Was there anything in the science realm that you did before you started teaching? So, Tom? You want yeah. To Actually, science was my major in college, but it was only because it was my favorite subject. I never really thought I'd be going into science. And my formal training is actually in theology. I got my master's in divinity. And before I came to teach at Brownwood Academy, I was on staff at a church as a pastor. And so I came here to teach biology, which to me is always a sort of God's natural revelation. And I've been enjoying doing that for the last 16 years now. Well, in contrast to Tom, I was an undergraduate science major too, but I thought that was the direction I was headed. Uh, After uh, a bachelor's degree in chemistry, I came to Nashville and started in the pharmacology department at Vanderbilt doing essentially biochemistry research at the lab bench. Uh, But then along the way, I shifted gears and moved into education and began teaching at BA. Um, I did my undergraduate in physics and math at Vanderbilt University with the intention of going on to a PhD in astrophysics, but after working with my professor who was an astrophysicist um, and really seeing what his job entailed, I thought, this is not what I want to do for my life. So that's when I decided to pursue teaching. Um, But before I went into teaching, I did a master's degree at Oxford University in science and religion. And that's how it comes back to me, and I now feel very small and insignificant at this table. <laughs> so that's good, though, because that is why I am here, because I want to learn stuff as well. Uh, so if we can go back around, I'd, I'd love to hear, um, how did you come to faith in Christ? And, 
and was it a struggle for you to reconcile faith and science uh, for you to just kind of uh, go for, around Tom? Yeah, for me, I became a, a believer in high school after hearing the gospel for the first time. And for me, it was never anything to reconcile. Um, the more I studied biology, and I went to North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill, and I don't think I ever had a Christian professor the whole time I was there, but it only reaffirmed for me that there was a creator, that there was intention and purpose behind everything that I was studying. And I remember joking with my friends sometimes coming out of class, you know, that was better than my quiet time this morning. I mean, I was just marveled at what God was doing, how he created things. And so for me, there was never anything to reconcile. And so mm-hmm. for, I always got kind of a smile whenever I hear that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've heard a quote, you never need to reconcile good friends. And mm-hmm. so I f- kind of feel like yeah. that's science and faith. That's good. Similar in a way for me, I grew up with, I guess, an interpretation of the Bible and a definition of science that really made it fairly easy to reconcile the two uh, from from my youth. Um, in college, I took a couple of theology classes, and the professors presented it in a way that just really reinforced the idea of different kinds of knowledge coming from religion and coming from scientific research, and it fit together pretty nicely for me, um, even through college. All right, so I did not grow up in the church. Um, I was most definitely not a believer in high school. Um, There were at least several instances I can remember uh, that where I made fun of people who were in the church. Um, I was definitely a heathen. Um, But the pursuit of science, particularly my love of astrophysics um, and the readings I did in high school, reaffirmed uh, several basic truths for me that we are small and insignificant in this universe, that there is a fundamental underlying reality independent of my opinion of it, that exists, um, and these sort of underlying concepts about the way the world works, the way the truth works, that when I did come to faith, it was like I had had the pieces of a puzzle. Um, as a scientist, I had collected pieces of the puzzle, but the faith portion of it was someone who saw that reality communicating its meaning and its truth to me. And so while I understand they don't match up perfectly in every aspect, um, it really wasn't difficult for me to hold both simultaneously and say both of them speak to aspects of the truth and the fundamental reality of the universe um, in ways that are important and meaningful. That's good. Uh, so... So now that you've been you've been here for for I don't know how many how many years have you guys been teaching here? I've been here sixteen years. Sixteen and nineteen for me. 19. This is my fourteenth. Wow! Right, it's my seventh. All right, <laughs> now that I feel small again. All right, um, what are the what are the primary issues that you see from the science from the science department? What are the primary issues that you see students struggling with uh, at a Christian school reconciling faith and science? Where are those? I think there's a few issues behind that. I think one is there's a misunderstanding of what Christians actually believe, all mm-hmm. Christians, just like we have denominations. You know, there's just different practices of religion. There's actually different camps 
of true believers. You know, that, that just understand what the Bible is actually saying in different ways, but it, not salvific issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this, this misunderstanding, you know, that there's, it has to be this way or you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. is, is this misunderstanding. I think, too, there's just some very articulate, intelligent people who can argue against creationism, you know, and I think that it can be persuasive if you don't know anything else. And so one of the things I enjoy doing is just to help equip kids. You know, how do you, what kind of questions should you ask? How should you pursue? What are some counter questions you need to ask here? Uh, but there's always going to be somebody smarter than you on either side of a debate. That doesn't mean you should be scared about it. You know, God's not scared. You don't need to be either. You know, be open. Ask the questions. Uh, pursue it. And so a lot of times kids just don't know what questions to ask, and something comes up to challenge their faith, and they're not sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so I like giving them some kind of you know, roots to figure that out. Yeah. And to this day, I'll have students text me from the middle of their college class. My professor <laughs> just said this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You know, I think that's fantastic. And that's, that's just how we grow. And our very doubts sometimes are the ways instruments God uses to help us grow. Yeah. And so I welcome it. I think it's fun. Yeah. One, one thing I heard uh, Mr. Cox say that I, that I agree with is I think a struggle can happen if students approach it with an either-or uh, mindset, either I'm a believer or I believe what science says about the world, and I think that is a, is a big challenge, and I, and I recommend approaching it differently. I don't think either-or is, is the right way to think about it. Just in my observations of what I've seen others struggle with, and I've kind of taken on some mm-hmm. of those struggles as I've talked with people about it, two, two main areas, I guess, are the variety of miracles that are in the Bible that, that seem to violate pretty, pretty near every natural law we know right. about at some point. Uh, and then the descriptions of time in the book of Genesis, uh, miracles and, mm-hmm. and, and aspects of time, I think, are the areas where people tend to struggle the most. Mm-hmm. I come from it at a slightly different angle, I think, than, than Jeff and Tom. I see it, our biggest issue fundamentally as a psychological one is our need for this neat comfortable answer Mm -hmm. that validates how we want to live and I find it I find it really frustrating I almost call it a laziness of mind Um, I I think it's so imbecilic when people of faith or people of science say well I don't I don't understand how that can be true therefore it can't be true or I can't wrap my mind around it therefore it can't be true so the whole nature of reality, the nature of studying science, the nature of religion, they lead you together to an understanding of the universe that is bigger than us, bigger than we can comprehend. And this idea that it has to fit in a neat package that I can scientifically explain exactly what happened in the first chapter of Genesis, or it's not true. I mean, those kind of paradoxes, you have to learn to live with if you're going to be a person of faith. And if you're going to be a scientist, even, there are paradoxes in physics that that speak to a reality that's bigger than what we can comprehend. Yeah, I think you've hit on one of the really important points there that part of discipleship, I think, is learning to live with some big questions that we might not be able to answer very well or might not be able to answer at all. But as we as we begin to learn more and pray more about those things, developing a comfort with living into those questions is a part of it, even if we can't resolve them. Exactly. Faith is not having this pat answer to everything. It's trusting the one who does have the answer. Yeah. The way I see it is I feel like the Bible is not a book about everything, um, let alone a science textbook. And it's as if God 
you know, there's like this 5,000-piece puzzle of everything. And we've been given 1,000 pieces. And we can put a lot of those pieces together. And it's our job to sit there and work those pieces out. And we have enough pieces to know who we are, who God is, and how we can come to know him in a personal way. And we're going to spend eternity figuring out a lot more of these pieces. But these pieces kind of have like islands, like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, and you know what that island is, and it's true. And sometimes there's holes in your puzzle. And you don't know what's in there, but you can kind of see the tail of a cat and a branch of a tree. And you can start deducing what may be in there, but nobody knows for sure. And that's okay. You know, and I think we have these questions, and we need to be able to be at peace with those questions, like they're saying. Um, but it doesn't put any doubt on what we know certain pieces to be saying. You know, we don't cast out on the rest of the Bible when it clearly says we've got a sin problem, and God solved that sin problem with Christ, and we need to put our whole faith in him. Yeah. And so helping students figure out what are the issues that are, we cannot compromise on, and which ones can we hold open? With our hands open, going well, I'm not sure, and that's okay. Yeah, well, that's that's great. That's a that's actually a great segue. The the in the spiritual life department, the same questions we run into the same questions. It focuses on creation, miracles, and specifically the miracle of the resurrection. That those are the those are the stumbling blocks, and 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 certainly there are things that are deal breakers there. The things that we're not going to compromise on. And then there are the things that might be more peripheral. When you guys deal with creation, and I know you, you may, de- I don't know if you deal in every cloud. I know you're going to deal with it at yeah. some point in time yeah. in biology. But um, what do you say? Are the, what do we hold on to as essential? And, uh, and, and what is peripheral? Yeah. The way I approach it with them is You know, I I describe science first. What is science? And science is kind of mankind's systematic pursuit of what our five senses and mathematics can pick up for us. And so we're looking into this world with those things in the natural world. And so I draw this big circle on the board. And inside of that circle, you have the different disciplines of science. You've got physics. You've got chemistry. You've got astronomy and biology. And they're constantly expanding. And they're kind of growing into each other, right? Some of them overlap. And we're, we're growing. We're learning more and more. We, we'll probably never know everything there is to know in the natural world. And then I draw a circle outside of the whole natural circle, and I call it the supernatural circle. And I say, what if there's something out here, too? We accept the fact we don't know everything about nature. Can we accept the fact we don't know anything about the supernatural, that it exists? And just because our five senses haven't been able to tap into it, it's not there. And I give the analogy. Suppose you found a, a drunk man crawling on his hands and knees in the street of downtown Nashville looking for his car keys. And he's just going around under this circle of light underneath the street lamp just looking for his keys. And you suggest maybe you dropped your keys over there outside where the light is. And he insists that that's impossible because he can't see over there. What if there's an explanation for what is the natural world that we can deduce, we can figure out, and it makes sense, you know? And I think nature is God's instrument for the material reality we have. And to just say we don't need God because we have science, it's kind of like God fills a bank account for its, you know, for it's like a parent fills a bank account for his college kid. And the kid goes, I have faith in this account. I don't need my parent I've got all this money in my account. 
I don't believe right. in that. I believe in the yeah. account. That doesn't yeah. make sense. God made science. He made the whole world. And we just, we're putting our faith in something he's given us. He's made. And it just doesn't go far enough. I'm going to say this, too. I say, I tell them, that one of the reasons your parent has you at Brentwood Academy is not to protect you from the cool, cold, cruel world of secular science or these awful thoughts. Um, if I go down the street and tell people that there is a God that made all this, um, I, I get fired. But I think that their education is handcuffed. Like, you can't talk about a Rembrandt painting without talking about Rembrandt. Yeah. How can you talk about God's creation without being able to talk about God? It's incomplete. It's not whole. We have a holistic worldview here that is critical for them to understand, and it makes sense. It draws things together. And if you just look at science without what unifies them or the purpose it may have, you are shortchanged. Mm-hmm. And you have an incomplete education, in my opinion. I couldn't imagine teaching anywhere where I was handcuffed like that. Yeah, I would follow on to that with one detail about your inner circle that you draw, and you hit on this pretty clearly. But sometimes we forget that the business of science has both well-known rules but also some unspoken rules. The well-known rules of the scientific method. pardon me, that we all teach and we know the process of gathering information. But the unwritten rule is the only explanation allowed for any scientific question is one that is measurable and Mm -hmm. material. The rules of the game (laughs) keep you inside the inner circle. If a scientist tries to explain a phenomenon with something supernatural, people look at them sideways and say, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. That's not science. And sometimes we forget that that's true. Science right. has yeah. rules that people created, and right. it doesn't allow for that outer circle of, of knowledge or truth. Mm-hmm. And aside from teaching them specific principles, I think one of our jobs as educators is to teach them how to make judgments for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't specifically teach on creation, but a lot of them will come to me with questions about the nature of the universe. Right. And um, I, I tell them, well, there are guardrails. Like if we live in a creation, if we are fallen members of a creation, we're tempted to sin, we need to set up guardrails for ourselves. We need to set up um, some spiritual guardrails. As Tom was saying, what are the fundamental truths? What's essential to our salvation? Um, What's essential to the nature of God? What does Scripture say? Those are our guardrails on one side. And then we have guardrails on the other side of, okay, let's live in reality. Let's live in this world that we in. Airplanes fly by certain rules. Electronics work by certain rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really teaching the student for themselves to monitor their own thinking as far as, okay, within these guardrails, I'm really free to a variety of interpretations and I'm free to ask questions. Um, but because things will come up that we can't anticipate, things will come up in, in disciplines that, that we're not experts in or the que- answers, uh, they need answers that we don't mm-hmm. have the resources to give them. But if you can give them the guiding principles of, of how to think about an answer or how to think towards an answer, to guide yourself mm-hmm. towards an answer, or how to live in the midst of not knowing an answer, I think it's a, I use the guardrail analogy uh, mm-hmm. with the students for that purpose. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys actually in the in the process. I feel like you've you've kind of hit you can kind of hit my next question of what are some things that we we really need to understand about the Bible and the scientific method. And you, Jeff, you already brought that up. Um, I think I think that is important. We just did a, an exercise in class on the resurrection of instead of 
looking specifically at the resurrection, looking at all the alternative theories, the naturalistic explanations for an empty tomb and talking about, you know, we don't have to argue that Jesus existed or that he was crucified or really have to argue an empty tomb. Nobody really argues whether the tomb was empty. It's just how it got empty. Um, and uh, and I think that's it, it's an interesting exercise when, when you see that the, the things the students are going to read on the Internet or that they might hear in class all in a in a college class or something all have to be focused in that naturalistic realm there has to be a a, a measurable or 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 or, or, or a tangible explanation there um, and yet you can have one right outside each of those has very big holes in it you know that Jesus didn't die or that he was never buried or something like that I actually want to touch on that a little bit mm-hmm. if you'll let me so um when, when Jeff brought that up, I thought that was a beautiful point, but then I immediately thought, you know, in my graduate degree, one of the things we talked about is, is the number of hats a scientist wears, and you have to mm-hmm. be careful when a scientist is wearing their scientist hat that they don't accidentally switch it out for a priestly hat because a scientist is a human and will very quickly make broad, unprovable, untestable mm-hmm. claims mm-hmm. about the ultimate meaning of their theories. And while claiming the authority of a scientist in that respect. And mm-hmm. so you really have to be on guard and teach your students to be on guard with, are they making a scientific statement or are they making a metaphysical statement and trying to claim their scientific credibility for that mm-hmm. metaphysical premise? Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And I would add something small to that <laughs> about scientists and experimentation. It's in the same neighborhood, though. It's in the same... Um, the same vein of what what am I saying as a scientist? Um, humans, scientists are humans, <laughs> most would argue, and <laughs> when they plan an experiment, they are making the plan. And, and not only do they plan the experiment, they mm-hmm. interpret the data. And we are all humans with motivations and biases. And so that kind of moves, I really like the hat analogy, if I have a certain way of looking at things, I might put on a certain kind of hat when I explain what my data means. And so I'm speaking as a scientist, but I'm really speaking as a person who's looking at my data, if that makes sense. And the history of science is just full of examples of this. And some of them are some of them are farcical, some of them are tragic, but um, of scientists stepping way out of their boundary and saying, making these statements that are just outrageous. I mean, Newton was a total nut job. <laughs> he did this all the time and had some crazy, crazy thoughts. Um, and he, he, as a person, had these really strange religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And yet, as a scientist, was one of the most brilliant thinkers of all times. Mm-hmm. And so... It's easy, even for some of our most brilliant thinkers, to confuse those two um, roles, what is metaphysical and what is actually physical. I think to touch on another part of your question, I tell my students it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to attack. It's harder to defend, and it's impossible to prove. We leave proofs to the the mathematicians. You're not going to prove anything. Mm -hmm. But I'd show how... Everybody has a belief system. Everybody has their faith in something. You know, everybody has a belief on the origin of life. And which one is most believable, honestly? 
you know, you'll, you'll find atheists who talk about life coming from outer space and crash landing on meteors and things like right. that. And you just go, all right, let's look at that. They're, they're believing that life showed up on Earth from some cosmos, don't we? You know, yeah. what makes their theory more plausible? Right. And so you, you just have to do, you have to, you have to put away this whole day, we're going to prove anything about Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's open questions, but you do put you on your thinking cap. You do think through it, and you go, this is the most plausible means of faith. Yeah. You know, it, faith is not, as we talk about, leaving your brains at the door. It's engaging your mind yeah. and diving in and going, what are the issues and which one is more plausible as a world theory? I love N.T. Wright. In his book, Surprised by Hope, he Mm -hmm. talks about the resurrection specifically as ushering in the new creation. That's Mm -hmm. what the Bible says, that we are all in process right now as believers being made into our new selves. And so the new Mm -hmm. creation started with the resurrection. That new creation is a new reality. It's a new way of thinking. It's we are being changed. There are bigger laws at work. There are new laws at work. And, you know, as a physicist, this doesn't bother me at all. We've been postulating multiple universes Mm -hmm. for decades. Things we can't prove. Theories that are clearly more religious than than physical. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not hard for a physicist to believe that there's something bigger out there. Mm -hmm. And so just like the paradigm shift from Newtonian mechanics where everything was predictable to quantum physics where everything is fundamentally prob- probability based mm-hmm. on chance was was huge in the 20th century, that revelation. Like, it's not difficult to move from that what we know now is simply a simplification of or a reduction of something bigger mm-hmm. and more fundamental being true. Wow. Yeah. And in that... In that territory of growth and change, um, you addressed it from a spiritual standpoint, but it's it's important to recognize as well that science is always in a state of growth and change. I think that's much more obvious to people uh, than what Wendy was commenting on. And given that, um, I would say that it is prideful to think that our understanding of the world is so complete that there's no room for miracles or divine intervention or that the one who created the universe could not orchestrate its movements, the movements of the earth and people to coincide with what he wants to achieve. Wow, this has been great stuff today. I've really enjoyed listening to all these stories, and we're going to come back next time. Uh, we've, we've dealt with kind of how to integrate faith and science, and, and is it even possible? Um, I think we've really well established that it is possible, and in fact, these two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they are. They are. Uh, science has been given to us by God to explain what He has done, and. Uh, and so it's a, it's a very natural connection there. So uh, I really love this, and I really hope that you're going to come back next time and listen to us when we talk about, uh, v- very practically speaking, how do parents talk to their students about reconciling faith and science? So um, please do come back, and uh, I'm going to keep enjoying this conversation. Mm-hmm.